0: So I went to go to the nearby towns. I must preach there also. That is why I have come.
1: Awesome job. All right. Kids, you're dismissed. You can head on to Children's Church. If you were wondering what translation uh, she just read from, that was actually called the New International Reader's Version. And uh, we've started using that version in our Wednesday night youth group side of stuff because the as you could tell like the scripture is just so much easier for them to kind of like grasp the wording so if you've ever wondered like what version maybe to try for your kids even or your grandkids then the the n-i-r-v it's like a what you take out on a colorado trip you know the n-i-r-v i don't know that was a terrible joke man nailed that one moving on all right uh so we are talking more about this Ask Me About Sunday. I don't know how your uh, week went or uh, if this theme was kind of playing over in your brain or if, uh, if you noticed on Thursday some things kind of happening. Like right now, if you were to open your uh, Facebook to our page like our facebook page you actually can change your profile picture to have like this logo this ask me about sunday logo right directly on your uh, profile picture and so just kind of some ways that we um are kind of hoping that maybe drives you to to be encouraged and be equipped for people to ask you what happened on sunday and so i don't know if you had any opportunities to be able to, to tell about maybe your baptism story or about Jesus' baptism story that we learned about from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. But this Sunday, we are going to talk about hands, and specifically Jesus' hands. But I wanted to tell two stories of myself when it came to hands. So I don't know if you've ever broken your hand or your wrist in your lifetime, uh, but I broke my wrist the two growth plates in my wrist which in and of itself was a really scary uh, kind of thing because the doctor was like hey if you don't take care of this you don't like keep it in the cast and you don't take care of it you could end up with a shriveled hand and that was really scary to me like as a, se- a sixth grader i was like i don't want a shriveled hand i don't want that and so i was like super like cautious about it and super overwhelmed with this idea and so i had this cast on it was just an air cast, though, so I don't know how serious the doctor actually was, but um, but he made it feel pretty serious that like if it didn't ha- like if this didn't stay right. The nicest part about it, like while it was you know terrible situation and it hurt a whole lot um, actually happening, the best part about it was it was my left hand, and uh, I'm left-handed, and so uh, so I got out of doing all of my schoolwork. And uh, and I had my mom do my schoolwork, which if you've ever had a child that has like broken their writing hand, and, uh, and like you have to be the one that writes it for them, it usually quickly turns into like them just doing it <laughs> for you, and that's exactly what it turned into for my mom, where she was just like, "Stop! I'm just going to do this, and then we can move on with our day." She's like, "I have dishes, I have you know whatever to do," and I was just like, "Yeah." The other time that, um, for me, something hand-oriented really came into play was uh, was I was in college, and uh, a buddy of mine had taken this girl on this date to an ice skating rink, and uh, terrible, like, like, worst nightmare. If you've ever, like, gone ice skating, this is, like, the worst thing that could ever happen. But, like, she fell and, uh, like, got her hand, like, I don't even want to talk about it, but, like, it was terrible, like, it was a terrible thing, and uh, it was so, like, demoralizing for her not to be able to use her hand anymore uh, to be able to, like, live life. Hands are such an interesting thing. You don't really think about, like, what is involved when it comes to life with hands or without your hands, you know, or, or how, how to live life without fingers, or, you know, like, all these kind of, like, you just don't think about it a lot, But hands are are so needed. I mean, they allow you to to do everyday life. It allows you to express really important things. And uh, it allows you to to work the fields. It allows you to, to use a computer. It allows you to do so many different scenarios. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people that are able to accomplish great things without the use of hands. But the ability to use hands are something that we just kind of don't really think about. But hands are sometimes gnarled misshapen with arthritis some are calloused and stiff from years of labor some are smooth and delicate and well cared for hands can hurt or can help can strike or can soothe can grasp or can give can exclude or can embrace hands lift us up when we fall hands hold us hold on to ours when we walk together maybe it's your child they are showing how to get to a specific place or protecting as they walk across the street, or maybe it's your wife or your husband that you're holding while you walk through the mall. You know, hands are, hands are really important things. And so today I want to talk about one particular set of hands, one special, unique pair, the hands of Jesus. They were the very hands that God had encased in human form. Jesus had just completed healing many, many people up to this point. We read Mark chapter 1, verse 38. And all the way up until this point, Jesus had started his mission, his uh, ministry, after being baptized. He had spent, you know, the 40 days in the wilderness being tempted, uh, fasting. And then he goes and starts his mission. And the whole time he's, he starts by just healing, mass healing people. Lots and lots of different things going on. And Mark kind of skims over a lot of those healings. And Mark is kind of uh, the best way to sum up what Mark says in Mark chapter one is is this simple word immediately. Like everything that Mark kind of starts each each section with is immediately. Immediately, Jesus goes to heal this. Immediately, Jesus goes to preach here. Immediately, it was just like Jesus was ready to get moving. And that's the best way to kind of sum up the points up until Mark chapter one verses 40 through 45. So if you want to go ahead and open up Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45, we're going to read about one specific healing where Jesus uses his wonderful hands to bring comfort and bring a life-changing process for one particular person. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hands and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out, and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came came to him from everywhere. So we have this story right after Jesus prays in the solitary place. He goes and and has this moment with God. And then Jesus claims in, in verse 38, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So in the middle of Jesus going to preach, Jesus gets stopped by this man that has been diseased by this terrible, terrible infliction. You know, leprosy would have been, you know, we have a specific thing when we talk about leprosy now like we there's an actual like true diagnosis of what leprosy is but back in the first century leprosy would have meant a whole litany of different things all the way down to as simple as somebody having a pimple it would have been what they would have deemed leprosy and you would have had to actually kind of put yourself off to the side during this time of going through this leprosy And leprosy would have kept you from being a part of the world. It would have kept you from worshiping. It would have kept you from all the things that you kind of deemed normal life. And so this man comes running up to Jesus after being rejected, being cast out, being neglected, being forsaken, being abandoned. And he approached Jesus in urgency and desperation. What did he have to lose? He was already, according to the culture, he was a dead man to them. He would have to yell out, I have leprosy as he walked down the street. And people would go out of their way to avoid him. He couldn't hold a job. He couldn't worship. He approached Jesus in uncertainty. He was unsure that he would be cleansed. He didn't really know. He he had heard rumors up until this point. He knew that Jesus was doing this, but he didn't know if he would do it for Jesus. He had faith that Jesus could do it, but would he for him? And he approached Jesus with a small bit of hope on this willingness of Jesus. And Jesus did come through. And Jesus, in the most powerful three words, he says, I am willing. And man, those brought so much hope and so much encouragement to this man that was just feeling so distant and so forgotten. He, when Jesus says, I am willing, he says, I want to heal you. It is my pleasure to heal you. It makes me happy to heal you. And he stretched out his hands and he touched this man. You know, Jesus could have just spoken words. Jesus probably could have just thought it in his head. But Jesus chose to reach out and physically touch this person, that culture, the world, had deemed untouchable. Jesus clearly shows that my reality my life, my holiness, is not affected by your unholiness. We've talked about this before, how the cross did not make Jesus unholy, but he absorbed our sinfulness for us to be able to live holy with him. But this man, he couldn't remember the last time somebody had actually touched him. He had not enjoyed you know, a, a wife, he hadn't enjoyed his children, he hadn't enjoyed friends, for a very, very long time. And now Jesus actually touched him. And he wasn't, like, creeped out by it. Like, he touched him. He reached out and embraced this man that culture had deemed unfit. He wasn't icked out by it, but instead loved this man because of who he was. Jesus was willing to go and to seek the hurting, the outcast. The question that could be asked is, are we willing? Are we willing to go and talk to the shut-ins? Are we willing to go and help the homeless shelters? Are we willing to go and be Jesus to those in the hospital? Are we willing to go and to touch those throughout the world with the power of Christ and see the forgotten, see the forsaken, see those that are being pushed away by the world? It is important that we're willing to do the right thing without coercion, you know, without, without being forced to do it. And that reminds me of a story. Uh, it's kind of a funny little story. A young man and his fiance met with her, their, their pastor to sign some pre-wedding ceremony papers. And while filling out the form, the young man read uh, some of the questions aloud. And when he got to the one which read, are you entering this marriage at your own free will? He looked over at his fiancee. Put down yes, she said. <laughs> God, God wants us willing to put down yes. And when he calls us to touch the untouchables, to include the outcast, to befriend the forsaken, think of that one pair of hands, the hands of Jesus. And remember, remember that they're powerful hands. This untouchable was touched by and cleansed by powerful, godlike hands. This man that could walk on water, feed the multitudes, cast out demons, heal the sick, give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute, and life to the dead. And that touch changed his entire life that day. He didn't just do away with his illness. He changed his whole course of life. In your life, have you been touched by the powerful hands of Jesus? Maybe not in that, like, physical, I have an ailment and now I'm healed. And maybe you do have that story. Maybe that is a story that you have in your life where you know somebody that was physically healed through all of those pains and those illnesses. But not everyone is healed. And all the time that, and there will be a time that we all come to, where we all die. But the greatest healing will be a heavenly one, where we are in the presence of Jesus, not suffering anymore, living in paradise. And if physical healing is not in His plan, He will heal your weakness. He will heal your fears. He will heal your anxiety. Those are the things that he does promise to heal, to provide us comfort, to provide us encouragement. We might get physically healed sometimes, but that's not the ultimate promise that we are given in Scripture. For sure, his powerful touch will enable you to persist and to persevere, and more importantly, to prevail. The Bible says in reference to his great power, these two wonderful scriptures. Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably imme- more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then also in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. We have been given great power just like the hands of Jesus was powerful. We have been given great power in Christ. He transformed that power to everyone he touched. You know, there's this new technology, if you are keeping up at all in like cell phones, where uh, like Apple doesn't have it, but like everybody else does. Um, But like this ability where like you can like touch two phones together and uh, they actually like transfer power. Uh, It's a really, really interesting concept. Like I am at 100% and you're at like 2%. I give you a little bit so that way, you know, you can take that really awesome picture. Uh, But that's exactly what Jesus does in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. He says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Guys, I don't know if you notice it or not, but there are illustrations all over the world all the time that we can use to connect the great news of Christ to those around us. I mean, maybe you've never thought about a cell phone to connect scripture, but daily life, you have the ability, you have the power to be able to connect the great things of, of the Bible into everyday life. Now, maybe if you ever see somebody with one of those phones, you can be like, hey, Jesus is like that. And you have a, you're have a really interesting conversation. It could be really awkward, too, but, uh, but it could be a really interesting conversation. They're like, why are you looking at my phone? You know, type of thing. But it could be a really interesting conversation where you get to empower them to know how great Christ is. Oh, Sorry. I messed this all up. Uh, Oh, here it is. My apologies. Like I said, his hands were powerful, but more importantly, they were also compassionate hands. You know, God of all the wonderfulness that he is, is moved by compassion. Not revulsed by us, but he touches us. He touched us gently. Here were these labor-hardened hands of a carpenter that gently, in the tenderness of a father holding his child, Here were the pure hands of the sinless Jesus, gently touching the disgusting body of an impure man. Something to know, compassion is not weakness. Compassion is power under control. Jesus is the epitome of compassion. Jesus had the greatest power ever known to anyone, and yet he had the greatest control I mean, we see, if you, if you read all of Mark, you see it just specifically in the two verses that Mark talks about the temptation that Jesus had from Satan after the fasting. The great power that Matthew goes into where he talks about not changing rocks into bread, you know, not jumping from the high cliffs, you know, not accepting the lordship over, the, of, over people. You know, this great power that Christ could have done all of those things, and yet he had compassion. He chose to keep it under control. The author of Hebrews wrote about Jesus saying this in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. For he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. We will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The compassionate Jesus gently directed that power to a graciously and merciful cleansing of this leper. Can you think of a time when Jesus stretched out his hands and compassionately touched you? And have you been that same kindness to others to compassionately reach out to others? Maybe when they were in grief. Maybe when they were in distress. Maybe when they were discouraged. Maybe when they were lonely. Maybe when they were in pain. And maybe maybe when they failed. Maybe that failing was on you and you had the opportunity to provide compassion for somebody that failed you or maybe that's just something that happened in their life where they didn't feel like they were able to completely do what they, were, they knew they were called to do, and you were able to show compassion in that mo- moment. Here's a beautiful illustration of compassion. Raymond, Raymond Dunn Jr. was born in New York in 1975. And if you guys know that name already, you know this story. But it was reported at that time of his birth, the baby had a skull fracture, and severe oxygen deprivation, causing extreme brain damage. He grew. He suffered up to 20 uh, seizures a day. He was blind, he was mute, and he was unable to move any part of his body. In addition, he had allergies to everything except one kind of food. And here's the thing. This story should feel like it should go in the miracle side, where all of a sudden you... We simply say, and they prayed, and all of those things went away. But this story goes a different direction, more in the everyday kind of in the trenches kind of compassion. And that food is all he could eat. It was a meat-based product already, like, sounds wonderful, that was made only by Gerber Food Company. And in 1985, Gerber Foods stopped making that food. In despair, his mother traveled throughout the country, buying up all the formulas she could find in stores. But in 1995, years later, her supply simply ran out. Knowing her son would die without it, she appealed to Gerber Food Company on a compassionate grounds to start remaking it so her son could live. The employees of the company listened And in an unprecedented action, they volunteered hundreds of hours above their normal work shifts and brought out the old equipment to start making food again, just for that one boy, for no profit. And in 1995, five years after the plea, Raymond, known as the Gerber boy, died for his physical problems. However, through his suffering, He was the motivation for Gerber's acts of compassion. The situation in in which we find ourselves and the people we meet that need our compassion will be very different than this leper that was cleansed by Jesus. But the issue remains the same. How will we respond with compassion? Jesus' hands were compassionate hands. And finally, They were nail-scarred hands. Though the most important thing that those hands did was they held them up on that cross. Remember these wonderful truths. The righteous died for the unrighteous. The hero died for the villain. The creator died for the creation. Those hands that only showed love were nailed to a cross But it wasn't nails, though, that held Jesus on the cross. It was the most mind-opening moment in my relationship with our Savior when I realized that the reason he stayed on that cross was not because of the torture and not because of the nails and not because of any law that that man had put on him, but instead, it was his love for us that love that made him pay that cost. He specifically says he could have called down legion of angels to defend himself against these, uh, these ev- this evil that was coming at him, but he doesn't. He goes to the cross willingly with great compassion. And on that cross, he paid a great debt he did not, that he did not owe because I owe that debt. We owe that debt, and that debt cannot be paid. This is the definition of amazing grace, the unfailing love, unending mercy, infinite determination that would make him take our place and bear our cross to save us. So as we finish up this lesson, I want you to ask yourself, what from today was something for me to tell a friend, to tell a coworker, to tell that random stranger that has a new phone in Walmart? What was it from today? What, was it worship? Was it Sunday school? Was it something in the lesson? Was it something that you read? What is it that you're going to take home and allow your personal story to affect those around you? Like I said at the beginning, maybe... You do have a personal story of of, of a healing in your life where Jesus brought you out of this pain and this issue and maybe you do have a, a, a miraculous story to share and maybe that story needs to resurface. Maybe that story happened a long time ago for you and you've kind of shied away from talking about it anymore but that story still affects people and that story can still shape people. We need to remember that the hard things that we go through, the, the difficulties that we go through, the, the personal struggles, and when we stay faithful to Christ, those are kind of things that, that really can start changing people's lives. So many times God does some miraculous things in our life, and we tend to just kind of forget them after, over time. You know, something else comes up, some other pain comes up, some other issue comes up. But remember those stories and use those stories to tell God's greatest story of forgiveness and love and compassion. I hope you are encouraged this week to be asked about Sunday, to tell them about this story of Jesus, this story of the leper, and maybe even your own story. Maybe you have something that maybe you're in the midst of, maybe you just got out of, or maybe decades ago you went through. But somehow, these stories is what's going to bring healing To those around you. So as we continue worshiping, as we go into communion, and as we take time for offering, I pray that that our eyes and our hearts and our minds are focused on what the Lord, the Savior, the Christ has done for us with those hands. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for everything that you do, for everything that you've provided, for everything that you are. I pray as we leave that we go into the world ready to tell others about how great you are. That we leave ready to spread the good news about salvation. That we leave ready to rejoice and and be overflowing with gratitude. So that way compassion comes flowing. Father, we love you we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Have you ever heard anyone use the term 100%? Give it a 100%, someone might say, or that guy's 100% correct. Um, It's not just a mathematical certainty anymore, it's... It's synonymous with uh, being all in or going all out. And there's a company that sells dirt bike gear that actually adopted it as their name. That's that's what they call themselves, 100%. They're not Nike or McDonald's or Home Depot. They're 100%. And it sounds awesome. And if I were to apply this label to someone in the Bible, it would no doubt be Peter. Peter seems to be going 100% with whatever he is saying or doing. And Peter also makes a lot of mistakes. But when he makes a mistake, it's usually because he's going 100%. He's a doer. He's a man's man and a a man of action. And uh, we find him making all kinds of mistakes, but he does it in almost an admirable way. Let me illustrate this point by looking at three places in the Bible real quickly where Peter makes a mistake. The first one is when Jesus uh, came to his disciples And they were out on a lake in a boat, and uh, Jesus gets out there by means of walking on water. And it says that they were terrified, thinking it was a ghost, until Jesus identified himself. Then Peter, again a man of action, asked Jesus to invite him out onto the water, and Jesus replied, Come on out. Picking up in Matthew 14, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Cried out, "Lord, save me!" Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. "You have little faith," he said. "Why did you doubt?" Now don't you feel sorry for Peter here? <clears throat> Think about it. what if Jesus looks you in the face and says, "You have little faith. Why did you doubt?" Well, uh, Peter's the only one who failed in this story, but I would point out that Peter's the only one who got out of the boat. He was all in, hundred percent. The next story is when Jesus was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas had betrayed Jesus and was leading a group of men with with swords and clubs. And in Matthew 26, it says, The men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So to no one's surprise who was packing a sword and willing to use it, it was Peter. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Again, Peter's the only one getting rebuked by Jesus. But it's because Peter was all in, 100% man of action. The last story is when Peter disowns Jesus three times, later in chapter 26. Now, Peter was in the courtyard, and he had gotten accused of being an associate of Jesus three different times. And the third time reads like this. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Again, my heart just breaks for Peter as we see him weeping here. But if we go backwards to verse 57. It says, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to the high priest where the teachers of the law and the elders assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Peter is all in, 100%. Man of action. He was the only one who followed Jesus into the courtyard. And unfortunately, it set him up for this heartbreaking denial. Now, we sort of establish what kind of character Peter is, so let's take a look at John chapter 13 and see how Peter deals with the Last Supper. Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room, and they're they're getting ready for the Passover meal. And to everyone's surprise, Jesus starts washing their feet. And of course, this would be a surprise because that job was to be associated with a servant or a slave. And uh, so, when he gets when Jesus gets around to Peter, Peter asks him, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" Jesus replied. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Now, this should have been Peter's clue, a uh, hint to, to and it's Jesus saying, take it easy, Peter, step back, just, just listen and learn. But, of course, Peter missed it, and unsurprisingly says, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So then, you, as, as you would expect, Peter jumps the other way, all in 100%. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replies, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Now, honestly, this is a little confusing, but what Jesus is saying is this, this uh, act of washing his feet, that is symbolizing the work that he does on the cross, and therefore, uh, therefore nothing else is needed. So, once again, Peter got it wrong, but he gets it wrong in the most admirable way. And I think we can learn from Peter and how we should take communion. Yeah, like Peter, we, we need to learn that salvation can only be obtained through Jesus. There is no other way. And yes, like Peter, we need to learn that Jesus is enough. When he's done, we are clean. There's nothing else needs done. But at the same time, we need to jump in communion just as Peter would, not halfway. Give you everything you're carrying to God and then relish in the freedom of that forgiveness. Maybe you have something big in your past and you're having a hard time accepting forgiveness for it. Or maybe it's that reoccurring sin that you never turn over to God because you're not sure you want to give it up. Or maybe it's just an apathetic attitude towards communion time. It's got that been there, done that feeling. Whatever your situation this morning, let's treat communion like the cornerstone of faith, of our faith that it is. Let's follow Peter's example and jump in 100%. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time and part of the service and the opportunity that comes with it to, to examine ourselves and, and uh, identify those faults. And, Father, as we lift those up to you, we are so very thankful for um, the fact that you accept them and the, and the work that was done on the cross and, uh, and these emblems and what they represent and that it, uh, it does totally take care of our sin problem and nothing else is required. And for this, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.